0: Welcome to the Baker McKenzie podcast series, Solutions for a Connected World. In this episode, we're talking about sanctions, how they're implemented, enforced, and the challenges and solutions for businesses. I'm joined today by three experts to help discuss this important topic. They are Anahita Toms, partner at Baker McKenzie, who heads up their international trade practice in Germany, Sean Doherty head of international trade and investment and member of the executive committee at the World Economic Forum, and Hera Smith, director, financial crime compliance at Moody's Analytics. Sanctions have become more and more commonplace in international relations in the last few years. Most recently, sanctions have been levied on Russia and entities affiliated following the war in Ukraine. From the time of the Russian invasion, the number of sanctions-related activities picked up by Moody's grid watchlist, increased by 67.5%. Hira, can you give a background to the current sanctions landscape?
1: I would say that it's pretty chaotic right now, but there is method to the madness. There has been a vast increase in the number of entities that businesses are prohibited from engaging with just because of sanctions or that they are sanctioned by extension. However, there are still challenges related to detecting sanctions evasion. There have been attempts to retain control of the company while obfuscating the real ownership of that company. They do that by transferring ownership to a relative or an associate, could be their wives, could be their children. And it shows that the sanctioned entity only has a minority stake over that company, even though they still exercise significant influence over it. And so one really cannot just rely on this. There's hidden risk beyond that because you have to take into account minority ownership as well, on top of control over a company. And so compliance teams in various corporations and banks especially have had to rely a lot on data and technology to help them with their job and to help them implement all these sanctions that are coming out.
0: So how do companies not wanting to break sanctions navigate these changing ownerships And how important is access to reliable data in this area?
1: So traditionally the threshold for ownership is 50 percent. There's the OFAC 50 percent rule. However, what we've seen is that sanctioned corporations or sanctioned entities and persons have been putting their ownership below 50 percent in order to evade sanctions in some ways. And so the recent regulations has actually made it so that the European Parliament considers beneficial ownership to mean 15% plus one or 5% plus one. I think this really highlights the fact that companies need really good ownership data that's very granular, and Moody's actually has data that can provide that. We have good and very granular ownership data that goes down to the percentages that they need. It's not just 50% that they need to look at, but it's now down to 15 and 5%.
0: Anahita, let's bring you in here. What challenges do large multinational businesses face when it comes to navigating the changing landscape of sanctions? And what support is there for businesses?
2: Large multinational businesses can face really steep challenges regarding sanctions compliance. This is due to the complex landscape of sanctions, but this is also due to the fact that we have, of course, a globalization of businesses, um, which means that they are subject to several jurisdictions and subjects to various laws. And this really requires multinational companies to be aware of the laws and how to deal with them. For example, there has been a new paper published by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence, which explores the depths of challenges that global financial institutions are facing in compliance with the sanctions against Russia. I think it is clear that you have to make sure that you have the right team. You have to make sure that you understand your product portfolio very well and how it affects the sanctions, restrictions, with regard to the specific regions, you have to understand very well who you are doing business with, because there is a clear expectation regarding a very specific risk evaluation, your due diligence, and to de-risk as much as you can. You have to train your people, you have to make sure that the people in the various jurisdictions know how to navigate themselves through the challenging legal and regulatory landscape. And then you have also the differences in interpretation. For example, if you take the European Union, you have various different governmental bodies who are involved and you may be doing businesses from three or four different jurisdictions. And then they may have different views on how to interpret the current sanctions regime. So it's definitely a big challenge. And I see that every day with our clients, that what they have to do is significant. On the other hand, I think with good, well-trained staff, you will be able to really minimize your risk in this area.
0: Hira, your thoughts.
2: Well, I would say that generally the
1: ambiguity or differences in how sanctions are implemented or issued or defined by the different countries are tricky or are challenging for the private sector. However, they have issued a lot of guidance lately. There's more multilateral cooperation in this regard. So that has definitely helped us a lot. And with regard to the ambiguity of sanctions, it's hard for us sometimes to implement it if we don't know exactly what they want. But sometimes this ambiguity is strategic. Strategic ambiguity forces us to look not just at the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law as well in order to implement it and prevent sanctions evasion.
0: That's a really interesting point, Hero, about looking at the spirit of the law and not just the letter of it. Anahita, can you expand on this?
2: Yes, and I agree with that. It is important to also look at the spirit of the law when it comes to sanctions. This means that it is not only enough to simply comply or look at it from a technical requirements perspective, but also to consider the underlying intent or purpose behind those regulations. Very often, we don't have court decisions We only have the law, and then we have the reasoning behind. So that's why it's important to look at the policy goals that they are intended to achieve. Are these to address human rights violations? Are these to support peace efforts? So it is important to definitely look beyond. I agree with that.
0: While the effects of sanctions might divide, enforcement requires a connected response. According to DAG Monaco, enforcement is becoming more and more a multinational team sport. Hiro, what's your view on this? And how are countries and organizations working and learning together?
1: I would say I agree with that statement. It's becoming more and more a multinational team sport. There has been so many improvements in this aspect. Say, for example, the U.S. OFAC, Office of Foreign Assets Control, and UK OFC, which is the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation, So US OFAC and UK OFSI are the government agencies assigned to implement sanctions. So they've announced their partnership and they have been working together a lot lately in order to make sure that sanctions are being implemented across the board really well. Additionally, in the case of the European Union, they've formed some groups that help to ensure that sanctions are implemented and enforced equally throughout all the different member states. As for multinational corporations like banks or shipping companies, import-export companies, they also help in the multinational implementation of sanctions as well because these companies have operations in so many different countries and they need to make sure that their policies and procedures are aligned so that they do not inadvertently violate sanctions. So it takes multiple actors to make it work and I can see that there has definitely been Multinational
2: cooperation in the implementation of sanctions.
0: Anahita, your thoughts.
2: I absolutely agree that there is a clear trend of sanctions becoming a multinational team sport, and that this is really fundamental with regard to the success of a sanctions regime. The sanctions against Russia have shown clearly that there is broad cooperation among the states implementing sanctions, with some, of course having more of a coordinated approach than others. What's clear, though, is the more states take the same sanctions measure, the more effective it is in the end and, of course, supports the fight against possible circumvention of the sanctions that you have imposed. And there is a trend of enforcement harmonization as a reaction to the difference and deficiency, for example, in the European Union. And in order to enhance at least the EU coordination and sanctions enforcement, the European Commission has been proactive in the last couple of years, more proactive than before by setting up, for example, a freeze and cease task force. And this task force ensures coordination between among member states and the EU agencies. And In addition, the EU has discussed on various occasions the need for a common criminal law in order to hold accountable uh, natural persons and legal persons where it is possible involved in the violation of the EU sanctions. And for this purpose, I think it's interesting to know that the European Commission proposed that the uh, Council should add violation of restrictive measures to the list of EU crimes. And if that ever comes into force that would basically be a more harmonized way talking about
0: global cooperation the world economic forum's theme at davos this year was cooperation in a fragmented world part of which focused on reglobalization and the facilitation of cross-border commerce sean as the head of international trade and investment for the world economic forum and with the current geopolitical climate as a backdrop what part does sanctions play as a solution for a connected world.
3: The World Economic Forum's Global Future Council on Trade and Investment actually issued a report back in May 2022 on conflict sanctions and the future of world trade. And obviously that fed into Davos discussions. Now, the lead author of that report was Simon Evernot, who actually recently got a lot of attention uh, with a report which was showing that actually fairly low numbers of Western firms have really fully divested from Russia. But in any case, back at 2022, one of the concerns was that uh, Russia would be blocking the whole mechanism of global trade through blocking everything at the WTO, for example. Now that hasn't actually happened. Um, we have, of course seen tightening rounds of sanctions, targeting more individuals, fossil fuels. And what we've learned, I think, is that you know there are some issues that need looking at, including on the specifics, some issues such as targeting, If you have, say, a sanctions busting firm from a third country, can you find a way to target that firm rather than a whole other nation that they're linked to? Or more broadly, in the future, is there perhaps a more transparent doctrine of escalation and de escalation which we can come up with? Because the difficulty with national security reasoning, of course, is that it often comes down in the end to trust me from the security establishment rather than perhaps the more objective economic criteria. And so, you know, it's extremely damaging if uh, that trust is abused for protectionist policies because it's eroded uh, really pretty quickly. So it is helpful where possible to try and make things a little bit more technocratic and depoliticized where that's possible. And you reserve the political leadership for where there are really egregious cases
0: that need to be dealt with. Great points, Sean. Thank you. Any last thoughts from everyone?
2: I think it is really key that we appreciate the complexity of the world we are living in right now. And sanctions are a mirror of that. We know we want to collaborate and we want to have trade with various countries. But at the same time, we have to find partners who we believe in, who have the same values. This is one of the key reasons why I think it's fascinating to see sanctions as a tool. But again, it's only one tool in a bigger toolbox when you look at the geopolitical challenges that we are facing at the moment.
1: Well, for me, I'm really passionate about sanctions because it is something that affects my day-to-day life. Um, and it is relevant for all the people involved and it in some ways the higher purpose really is world peace right and that does appeal to me that i am playing a part in this fight against whatever bad actors it is out there in order to help people and i think that's what's most appealing
3: talking is important and what we try and do at the world economic forum is to help to structure that dialogue and then as a community to hold each other accountable for making progress on these very important challenges that
0: we face what we've learned today is that sanctions are constantly evolving and keeping pace with them can be a struggle as sanctioned entities try to evade regulators try to react and companies aim to navigate the speed of change the effectiveness and enforcement of sanctions are being called into question luckily multilateral answers are being offered as companies, governments, and agencies work together like never before. What is clear is that multinational companies need to have a practical and data-driven strategy to deal with this fast-moving landscape. They also need to train their staff and support the people part of the process. But there is support out there from the World Economic Forum that helps structure open dialogue to hold international communities accountable, to agencies like Moody's that provide the granular data required. And of course, Baker McKenzie, who helped with not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of it too.